is step out. Because the Gospel of Mark does two things. It shows how Jesus, as an example, steps out and step forward and does the example of how we are supposed to move forward in ministry. And also, he brings forth a thing that we see in part in the Old Testament, but really completes it. And that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. How Jesus moved forward in power and in glory through the works of the Spirit and moving forward and reteaching us God's word from his perspective. But with that, I have a story to tell you. There was once a pastor who had a five-year-old daughter, and the little girl noticed that every time her dad stood behind the pulpit and was getting ready to preach, he would bow his head for a moment before speaking. The little girl noticed this every single time and every single week and wondered what her dad was doing. So one day at lunch after service, the little girl went to her dad and said, Daddy, why do you bow your head right before you preach your sermon? Well, honey, the, preach, uh, the preacher answered, I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. And the little girl, emboldened by her dad's answer, asked him, then why doesn't he ever help you? <laughs> and the dad pats his daughter on the head, ironically, and says, you don't know how much he has. Sometimes, with preaching, with speaking the gospel, we feel like the pastor who has received that response. Sometimes a little insulted, sometimes feeling a little bit inferior, or timid to be able to speak it fully. Because we forget the order of sequence, or we think that is up to this person, or they have this anointing. But God has called us all to preach, and all to teach. And today, we are going to be uh, speaking about preaching and telling others about the gospel. And we are going to use the best example that I could see is John the Baptist. So, Mark 1, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now, thanking you for your word and the example of John the Baptist. 
as we continue to go through the story and the narrative, may we understand it more and may we become better preachers, teachers, and speakers when it comes to telling others about your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and more importantly, hands and feet to respond to your message. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The big point or the big idea is very, very simple, church. Sometimes people think it too simple. We must preach the good news of Jesus. That's it. But where it should be so simple, there's some complexities with that. And there's some anxieties with that. And we're going to get into how and what to say and preach. The Gospel of Mark is what I call the New York Post Gospel. If you ever look at the post, you see this big article and then like five sentences on it. There's no page two. There's no continuation. They just give you the story beats and go at it. And that's what Mark does. He calls it uh, himself the first gospel, or historians call him the first gospel ever written. You can tell by the shortness of the book. There's only 16 chapters in it. And when Luke and Matthew use his letter as a base, they expand upon it and give accounts from other perspectives. John Mark, as he is also known, was a junior partner of Paul and Barnabas on his first missionary journey. And he quickly leaves and returns to Jerusalem because after the first stop, it got so hard for him. We see this in the book of Acts chapter 13. Later on, he accompanies Peter when he is in Jerusalem. And he basically becomes Peter's Timothy. And he writes this gospel from the stories that he had heard from Peter traveling and going about his ministry. This gospel is written to non-Jewish Christians being persecuted by the Romans and the Jews. During this time, Nero is committing atrocities and trying to stomp out the Christian religion. So much so that the mad king sets his own palace on fire. And before people begin rioting towards him and towards his armies, he blames the Christians. And begins a slaughter of the Christian population in Rome. Mark was probably writing his gospel in Rome when he was seeing the beginnings of these atrocities right before Peter and Paul were executed. So the purpose of this gospel is to defend the faith and to encourage other Christians who are experiencing persecution. And this is why Mark gets right down to business. In verse 1, he says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't have the time to speak about Jewish history. Most Gentiles wouldn't even know it as much. Or have this elegant introduction like the book of Luke has. Neither of these are bad. They're just not what Mark is trying to accomplish. He knows that people are losing their lives and that other Christians are getting timid to, uh, to even practice this. We need to understand that his letter is trying to point out Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection in as little time as possible. He doesn't want to take his time and then people not get it. 
So he gives a brief intro and gets into the testimony about John the Baptist. And John's example should be how we quickly give the message of Jesus to people. We understand now? So we must preach the good news of Jesus. But what does that entail? What, what's like the, the, the steps on how to be able to do that? Well, number one, preach repentance. The message of John the Baptist was to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark 1, starting in verse 4, says this. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus on his mother's side. This miracle child of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And we find his birth story in Luke 1. And how the angel spoke to his father. And that he was promised to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. The first child that would be the precursor of how we are to receive the Holy Spirit. And he was promised to be the person who would prepare the way for the anointed one who would come. Now a grown adult, his mission is to do the thing assigned to him even before his birth. And we see a precursor of that in Luke 1.17. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And how did he prepare us? He prepared us with the first part of his message, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word repentance literally means to turn away. A change of mind of those who began to hate their errors and misdeeds. It's like when you get in your car and you're going to your destination and as you're on 95, you miss the exit that you were supposed to take because you weren't listening to your spouse. Oh, oh, everybody remembers that, yeah. And what happens is that they say uh, uh, the GPS will reroute you, take you to the next exit so that you can go back and use the right one, correct? Or when you're on a, a route in New Jersey, they'll say, at any point, make a legal U-turn. But that is what repentance is supposed to be. It's this word that we don't understand. But what John was saying is, you need to make a U-turn in your life and run the complete opposite direction from the deeds that you are now doing. You need to turn to something better. You need to turn to a loving relationship with God and turn away from the route that your life was bringing you to, which was a godless hell. He preached repentance. And how does he complete this or confirm this? By water baptism, which was common in Judaism. Those who were non-Jewish or Gentiles would have to come and be baptized into the faith by a spiritual authority figure, 
Thus John is putting him on this platform of being one who is anointed by God to baptize people. But John's baptism was uncommon because he wasn't just calling non-Jews to be baptized. He was calling everyone to be baptized. This would have been confusing to the Jewish people because they believed that the covenant with their God was a birthright. That they didn't have to worry of participating in ceremony or different things like that because they were the people that God had called out of Egypt to be his special possession. So as long as you were being obedient to the law, you were in the family. But John is preparing both Jew and non-Jew for a time where all people would have to come and repent to God. Everyone has to come and turn away from their hang-ups and their habits. There is no family clause in your relationship with God. Your parents being saved doesn't mean that you are saved. And you being saved doesn't mean that your children are being saved. No, it's time now that we are praying and interceding for our youth, our young people, and our children that one day they would have a come-to-Jesus moment, lay their head on an altar or in their private space and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. But that only comes when you and I preach repentance and practice repentance. Practice turning away. Acknowledging sometimes that in our parenting, in our managing, in our, in our work, in our overseeing sometimes the decisions of our family, we might make mistakes. And that we have to say I'm sorry to them in the exact same way that we go and we say, God, I'm sorry. It has to be a lifestyle of repentance. And to be able to uh, accept a non-Jewish person into the faith was God's intentionality all along. This is what God meant in Leviticus when speaking about the foreigner. Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, it says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as a native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God always wanted everyone to be able to have access to him. God always wanted all to come to faith in him, in Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks about how this was accomplished in Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 28, the Bible says this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is no, uh, nor there is male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. But it comes when each person gets to a point of repentance. And that is why we have to preach it. So Bethel. We must preach repentance. We must tell folks in order to get right with God that we have to admit how wrong we really are. Do we have to say it in a way that they reject us and the gospel? You remember like back in the old school days, the turn and burn ministry evangelism that used to happen? Now there are some people that need that. But so many people know God as a God of wrath or a God of judgment and not a God of love. 
And to be able to preach repentance and say, turn away from your own wrongdoing and your own misdeeds because the God of love and holiness will help you remove that gunk from your life. We say that he will uh, take you from the miry clay and set your feet upon the rock. There is only so much also that we could sugarcoat something before it's a completely different recipe. I'm going to say that again. There wasn't a big enough amen, okay? There's only so much that we can sugarcoat the gospel before it's not the gospel. It's your interpretation. If you want a relationship with God, you need to repent of your sins and be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So we must preach repentance because sometimes we give the Jesus of the acceptance and not the Jesus that requires humility and holiness. The next thing that we need to understand is that we must preach Jesus as the priority. Preach Jesus as the priority. That's what Mark is emphasizing in his prologue. Mark 1.7 says this, And this was his message, him being John the Baptist. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. The first eight verses of Mark are considered the prologue Illustrating the background before Jesus steps onto the scene with his baptism in verse 9. And all of it builds up Jesus as the main focus of the book. So let's go back to the first verse. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. From the beginning, Mark calls him the Messiah, the anointed one. This was a name that was solely given to the high priest, the one anointed to go into the temple and make the people right with God through the sacrificial system. But then Mark also calls him the son of God, placing him far above any high priest, any holy man, or any prophet. Jesus is not just getting a message from God and giving it to the people. Jesus is coming from God. Jesus is coming from God, and he doesn't have human priority. He might have emotions. He might be hurt that people aren't accepting the message, but God's truth will be accomplished through the example and words of Jesus Christ. So let's bring it back to verse 7. John the Baptist's second half of his message, we all talked about the first half. It was repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But then his second half of his message is that Jesus is above me and everybody else in this world. He says that he has the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You need to understand, for a disciple, he was basically uh, the administrative assistant of his rabbi. They would go and they would mimic and they would practice and they would take care of him. We see uh, admin assistants now, like sometimes in tent meetings, they would be holding the Bible for the preacher. 
before they come out or uh, they, they take care of the things that are in the back. Where's Will? Thank you. Appreciate it. He doesn't hold my Bible, though. I like my Bible. <laughs> but to take off one's sandals was something that was only equated between a slave and his master. When a master would come into his house, the slave would take off the shoes and wash the person's feet. John the Baptist is saying that he is not even worthy to be Jesus' slave. That the ministry that he brings forth is a ministry under Jesus far and above anything that anybody else could think of. As great as the world would think John the Baptist was and his ministry was, Jesus is far and above anything according to the Baptist's opinion. And when John the Baptist's disciples come forward and talk to him later on in the Gospel of John, they say, hey, this guy, people are following him and they're being baptized in his name. And they're following him way more than they're following you. But you have this great ministry and what is the Baptist's response? John 3, starting in 27, says this. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friends who attend the bridegroom waits and listens and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. We see this in another translation. He must increase so that I must decrease. John knew that his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. John knew that his job was to prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord was talking about Yahweh or the intimate name of God. So from the beginning of the prophecy, as Mark is saying, hey, this person is going to be the forerunner for the Lord. This person is going to be the forerunner for God to come down and give the mission of his people. So Mark was already giving Jesus priority. And John acknowledging that he was under Jesus' ministry, that the ministry had not started yet. And yet he was still greater and far and above anything that he could ever think was noticing it's not about me. It's not about my ministry and it's not about my commentary. All my job is to do is point to him. And that has to be our job as well. This was Moses' plea to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 10, the Bible says this, starting in verse 20. It says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. That word fear means to respect and serve under him. Where are the people of God that will put their opinions to the side, that will put their commentaries to the side, that will uh, put their TikTok videos to the side, that make really good analogies and good illustrations, and just preach the good news of Jesus Christ and that alone. Because if we preach Jesus to people, everyone will come to the name of the Lord. But if we preach opinions, 
I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm reminded of a story about preaching boldly. And in the 16th century, there was a Protestant preacher in England by the name of Hugh Latimer. He was known as this amazing and dynamic preacher. And he once found that he was called to speak before King Henry VIII of England. And as he thought about his great responsibility to bring a message before the king, he realized that the message that God laid on his heart was not a message that the king would want to hear because it was going to call out the king for the actions that he was doing. As he began his sermon, the king's officials said, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you are speaking before the high and mighty king Henry VIII? whose power to command you to be sent into prison and who can have your head cut off if it pleased him. Will you take care to say nothing that will offend the royal ears? He paused, and this is how he responded. He continued and said, Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before the king of kings and the lord of lords and before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand, before him to whom one day all will give an account. Be faithful to your master and declare all of God's word. Latimer faced a choice. Was he going to preach what people wanted to hear or was he going to preach what God wanted to give the people. And because of that, later on, he would lose his life as a martyr preaching God's word. But he knew that if he would not stand and give the word of God and preach Jesus as his priority, there would have been many people who have not, would have not been saved by his ministry. We need to preach Jesus as the priority, whether people like it or not. And we live in a society where people think that truth is subjective. Truth has never been subjective. The God of the universe was the one that created truth. It is universal. And to be able to have fellowship with God and to teach his message is to come to a point where you realize it's not about what their loving ears want to be able to hear. No, the gospel is as much loving sometimes as it is bitter and rebuking for the people who are not following the kingdom of heaven. But we have to do our part. And sometimes that comes with insecurity and that comes with anxiety because we think, how will people respond? Give the word. Preach the word. And it doesn't matter how people respond. It matters how God sees you. And I'd rather hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, than that was a really good message. got to preach the gospel of Jesus. We've complicated things a little bit. We have to preach repentance. Turn away from your sin and follow Jesus and serve him only. We have to preach Jesus as the priority. He is not just one that saves you from your sin, but he is the Lord that helps you overcome your continual walk with him. But the biggest thing, as the worship team comes, we got to preach baptism.
by fire. We have to preach baptism by fire. This passage, most importantly, points out something that Jesus would only bring. Mark 1.8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a sacrament. It is a foundational practice left to us by Jesus. The other one is communion, which we'll partake in next week. We were going to do it today, but Holy Spirit had some changes. But water baptism is supposed to illustrate two things. Death to life. When you lean back into those waters, you are saying, I am dying to the old person. In the exact same way that Jesus was leaned back into that tomb. And when you come up, you are a new person created in Christ Jesus. In the exact same way that he rose up from the dead three days later. And the second thing is evidence of what Christ has done on the inside. In the same way that Jesus has cleansed you because you have repented of your sins inwardly. Water baptism is supposed to reflect that outwardly. It is a celebration that is supposed to take place in front of the entire congregation because they are celebrating what you already know, that Jesus Christ has saved you and saved your soul. And now we get to rejoice because we know that we know there is another one in heaven that if Jesus should come back today, they're going with us. That is what water baptism is supposed to explain. And once we're there, we're in. But there is something that we forget sometimes. That when we say yes to Jesus, when we repent of our sins, when we make him the priority and make him Lord of our life, there's something that goes inside of us. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the fire. John the Baptist could give them the cleansing of water and preparing them for a way for the forgiveness of sin. But he was just preparing the path for what Jesus would bring inside the inner man. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Luke expands on this in John's baptism because Luke gives an account himself. And in 3.16, he says this, John answered all of them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We have to be cleansed, but we also have to be filled. We are cleansed and emptied so that we can be filled with the fire. In the book of Exodus, when God was moving the people of Israel out of Egypt, it was with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His Holy Spirit has always been pictured through water, through wind, and through fire. And when Moses goes up the holy mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he walks through a cloud of fire as he is entering to speak with God and receive the tablets of the law. Later on in the book of Leviticus, we're actually going through it right now, it instructs the Jewish people about sacrifices to keep clean and holy before God and ceremonies that would take place. And one of those ceremonies was to anoint the priests and to begin the sacrificial system. 
And in Leviticus 9.24 tells us that when the first sacrifices were given, that the Lord from the tent, from the smoke, let out a pillar of fire to light the fire of the sacrifices. Because it wasn't going to start without God and his fire. And the people rejoiced. They lift up holy hands because it wasn't something that they, they did. It was the miraculous decision of God. What he starts, he will finish. From the beginning, that is what God has always done. He has started the work and he has finished the work. He has had human partners that help cultivate it, but he's the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. So what does he do? He brings Jesus, and Jesus comes. He dies on the cross and resurrects three days later, giving us power over sin, hell, death, and the grave. And after he resurrects, what does he say? Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And what happens 50 days later? Acts 2. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind from heaven came and filled the whole house they were sitting in. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Jesus took the fire that was once in the tabernacle. Jesus took the fire that was once in the temple, the fire of the Holy Spirit, and gave it to you and I. No longer is the fire kept within the four walls of a building, but kept with every man and woman and child who professes that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we say yes to him, he fills us, he cleanses us. And that's what we need to be preaching to the world. Yes, preach the love of God. Preach the love of the Savior. But preach repentance. Preach to preach Jesus as Lord over all of your life. And also preach transformation by the fires of God who have come to cleanse you and make you a better person. Spurgeon said this. It says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are like ships without wind or rudder branches without sap and like coals without fire we are useless but there are too many of us that don't put enough wood on the fire there are too many of us that have these mountaintop experiences and when we get down we start speaking like Peter did doubt but we're going to call the fire this morning we're going to fan the flame this morning we're going to put as much wood on that fire so that we can be able to see an Elijah's sacrifice go up in smoke and fire and all of it will be consumed. The Lord is going to do a cleansing work in you and me today, church. So let's stand and let's prepare ourselves for what he is going to do.